The classic American success story is a kid with a dream making it big by creating his own opportunity and starting a company. Oscar-nominated actor Gary Sinise did just that by starting a theater company, the now prominent Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. And though many of Gary's connections with veterans came about because of his work in film and theater, particularly in portraying Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump, the seeds of his passion for veterans were planted by members of his own family. But when I met her brothers and her sister's husband, uh, they changed everything for me. They just started telling me about Vietnam and what it was like to come home to a divided nation. Gary shared insights into life before Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump as a young actor with an entrepreneurial spirit. And we talk about how his foundation and new book, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service, highlight the importance of serving our veterans. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Institute. What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late-night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought-provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh. Well, we are really fortunate today because we have the wickedly awesome, trying to go, trying to an East Coast theme in honor of Matt Amadon here, but we have the wickedly awesome Gary Sinise joining us today. A real Wickedly treat. awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Thank and you. co-hosting with us today is Matt Amadon, our director at the Bush Institute's Military Service Initiative. Matt, thank you. Thank you. Honored to be here, Gary. Thank you so much. You bet, man. And welcome to the Bush Center, seated on the beautiful SMU campus. Oh, thanks. And a real gem at SMU is the Meadows School of the Arts, where they bake entrepreneurship into their curriculum. And a big part of your story is that you founded the Steppenwolf Theater. So for the students out there listening, did you ever envision yourself as an entrepreneur? Uh, well, uh, if I guess if you look look back at some of the things that are in uh, the book uh, that I wrote, uh, you, you see a, a kid who kind of is a little bit loose, a little bit lost, a little bit trying to find his way, and uh, eventually having to, to make up things uh, to, to, to get along. And, uh, you know, I, I was from an early age, I think, I was uh, always the type of person who just took initiative. My dad was working all the time, and uh, my mom had her hands full with... Uh, my brother and sister, my grandmother, her sister, they all lived with us, and my mom just had, had her hands full. So I was kind of running around like on my own trying to figure things out. And so I ended up being the kid who kind of organized the baseball game in the neighborhood or the football game or some, or the hockey game or the rock concert or whatever it was. Uh, took initiative after high school to start a theater company and... Uh, because I, I, I was not a good student in high school and, and, uh, uh, the idea of going to college just wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't making any sense <laughs> to me after struggling through high school so much. So I, uh, but I wanted to continue doing what I was doing in high school. I learned how to act in high school. I stumbled into theater in high school and I wanted to continue that. And so what do you do if you're not going to college? You either go uh, as an actor, you go to Hollywood or you go to Los uh, or uh, New York or, 
you know, at that time, there wasn't a whole lot going on in Chicago, um, theater-wise. There were a few theaters, but uh, I just wanted to continue doing that. So uh, started the theater company at 18 years old, and, and that theater company is now 45 years old. Wow. We own four buildings in Chicago, and it's started by kids. So it really is. There's a, there's a part of Grateful America in the book I wrote here um, that really talks about um, the freedom that we have here in this country to to take initiative, to do things. If you can dream it up, you can figure it out, you can do it. And uh, that's that's kind of, there's some pretty funny stories about the, the lost kid in this book, but it all sort of manifested itself into action. And that's kind of the kind of person I've been, you know, my life is just to kind of see something and go get it. Right. And that's, to me, the best part of the book is that over and over, there's that lesson that you got to go take action yourself. And from the 18 year old kid at the Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf Theater to the man that made the Gary Sinise Foundation, which now is supporting veterans and, and doing such great work there. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, uh, the, is that a question? <laughs> <laughs> Not a very good one. It's, uh, well, I tell you, I, I, I think the title of your book is so meaningful and so appropriate, of course, as we all should kind of reflect on the blessings that we have in this nation. So I was very taken with your book and with the title, but I'm always fascinated with those decisional inflection points in somebody's life. So I think it was you randomly on a whim audition for West Side Story. Is that right? Your, your first ever in high school. Can you just, t- I mean, so that was a decision you made that really started a path that leads to today almost. And, and what was that decision? What was the call of the, the theater? Was it just you something know, new or? You, you know what? We, we all have those moments in our life where we're standing there and just something happens. And all, next thing you know, 10 years later, <laughs> it was the moment that changed our lives, right. you know, and you look back at it and say, if I wasn't at that particular place or didn't meet that particular person at that moment i i don't know what i'd be doing now same thing with me i mean in in high school i just happened to be standing there when the you know with uh, i was uh, as i said i was really a struggling student and and so much so that it's possible i would have been asked to leave the school <laughs> gently asked to to leave the school um because I, of the trouble i was getting in and music was kind of the only thing that was keeping me motivated i loved playing music i had bands i was standing in this hallway with some of the people in my band and we looked pretty pretty rugged you know and the drama <laughs> teacher walked by and saw us and uh said she was directing West Side Story, you know, about the, the gangs, right? And she thought we'd look good. Rep- representing a gang. <laughs> yeah, she, loved, she thought we'd look like gang members. So, so she invited us to come and audition for the show. And me and another guy, one of the other band members, did. And I didn't know what an audition was. I had no idea what any of that was. But I saw all the pretty girls going into the audition. <laughs> we just followed him in and, you know, sat down and didn't know what. And then they handed me a script. And I was like, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? And all these, you could tell all these theater kids were used to it. They yes. had auditioned before. And so they were getting up and they were very poised and polished and spitting their lines out and I was I could barely read and and I just started making jokes when it got to my turn to talk and and everybody was laughing and she she was the teacher was even laughing so next thing I know next day I see my name on the cast list and I got in the show 
and she put me in the show. The the chapter in my book that I talk about this is called Baptism, and it and it was it really was the moment that I was kind of baptized into this new world that changed everything for me. I, I mean, I went in, into the business. I, I created a theater company. I ended up making a living at it. I had a film career. All, And the moment that it started was that moment where she walked down the hallway and, and I got in the play. And I remember I, I was such a struggling kid that I didn't know what it was going to be like. But by the end of that by the end of that experience in West Side Story, I was totally submerged into it. I remember crying my eyes out when the play was over because it was so life-changing. And it's, I, I think it's kind of a very moving section in the book for, for any young student who kind of may be searching for something or not connecting to uh, his fellow students or anything. I all of a sudden stumbled into this thing and the community of the theater kids kind of embraced me and saw that I, something was something special was happening to this kid who was just about to get kicked out of school. And it was life-changing. And from that point on, I, I auditioned for every play I could. I went to build the sets. I painted the sets. I, I ran the lights. I did the sound, whatever theater experience I could have in high school I did and as soon as I graduated I started a theater company that's that's still here 45 years later the power of a good teacher absolutely she was you know what I I didn't go to college but the experience that I got from her and the uh, the incentive that she gave me to just rely on my instincts and to trust my natural ability to sort of just get up there and do it. Um, that I learned so much there in those early days. And I just took that right into the founding of a theater company. And then, and that theater company included John Malkovich and Laurie Metcalf and Joan Allen, uh, the woman who would become my wife five years (laughs) later, Moira. And, and we're, we've been together now for, you know, since 1976. Um, so a lot of things happened because of that theater life. And we have a nice space at the Gary Sinise Foundation um, it's called our Center for Education and Outreach. And it sort of tells the Gary story of how I uh, kind of stumbled into the acting world and then kind of took that. It's a little bit like the subtitle of the book here. It's called a journey from self to service and it tells that story and it starts with the it starts with the theater and the acting part and then moves into into the service work but without the theater and without the acting career and with the, I don't you know I would have never played Lieutenant Dan right, if I right. wasn't an actor and that you know life would have been uh, very very different uh, Lieutenant Dan was something that changed my life in many ways, you know, not just as an actor, because I hadn't done that many movie parts up to that point, but it, it set the stage for so much of the, of the good things I've been, been doing with regards to our veterans. And that, that was 25 years ago when the, the movie came out. That's a, a proud organization that you created in Steppenwolf. And before we get to more important things, I, I have to ask why Steppenwolf? yeah it's funny um so uh i as i said when i was 18 we we just got some high school kids together i i I tell a story in the book that 
my class, uh, my graduating class was 1973. But because I was such a screw up in high school, I didn't have enough credits to graduate with my class. So it was either just not graduate or go back and graduate with the next class, the 1974 class, um, and take another semester of school. So, you know, I wanted to get a diploma. (laughs) So I went back (laughs) and did another semester in high school. And I was, and I talk about this in the book, how I felt just terrible, you know, like a terrible failure, even though I was, one of the top theater kids at that time, I was still, I didn't, I didn't feel good about myself, but I ended up doing another play and it was very meaningful and it was a good play to do. So I graduated with the class we, we say in the book, 1973 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-year. So, yeah, that's, that was my graduating class. You can go to both reunions if you want to. Then. I could. You're, you're absolutely Choose right. the younger one. Yeah, <laughs> you're, I never thought of it. And so when I graduated, I just, you know, I, I wanted to keep that feeling that I was having in high school with, the, with doing plays. So I, I just got some kids together uh, that were still in high school, kids that I knew from the theater department, and we started doing plays. And the first play we did, we did at this church that my parents knew the architects of the church, and I asked them, can you talk to the church and see if they'll let us use the space to put on a play? And so they, they did. They let us, they gave us a key and said, just lock up when you're, when you're done rehearsing. And we went in there and, you know, uh, we didn't charge for tickets or anything like that, but we advertised and all the parents were coming, all the cousins and nephews of everybody and everything. That's what the audience was. And we wanted to have something on our program that said we were a theater company. So we were looking for a name and we were at rehearsal one day and we were all just sitting around. What are we going to call this thing? And somebody happened to be reading the book. Uh, Do you know the book? It's by Herman Hesse. H-E-S-S-E. Absolutely. And it's called Steppenwolf. Yeah, okay. He was reading that book and we looked at it and I said, let's put that on the program. And so we put Steppenwolf Theater on the program. I, I never read the book. I, mean, I, I, I never even Have you read, read the book. it since then? I, I, I think it's a better story to keep it saying is, that yeah. I haven't read I the book. I thought it was the band. I thought it was your favorite band no, at the well, time. Well, we, we would have people call the theater and say, is Steppenwolf playing tonight? And, you know, and you'd say yes. Maybe you get the audience. Well, yeah. John Malkovich is in Steppenwolf. Yeah. Well, in those, oh, early, those yeah. early theater days brought you to the play Tracers, which according to the book, is really where a lot of your work with veterans started. Did you anticipate at that point that that play was going to be such a, a life changer in your career? I, I didn't know. What, what it was, was um, because of the veterans in my own family, and particularly the Vietnam veterans, because they were, they were not that much older than I was, the Vietnam veterans, uh, on my wife's side of the family. I started to meet them when, when I... Uh, got together with her and she introduced me to her brothers and her sister's husband, all who served in Vietnam, all in the U.S. Army. And they started to kind of educate me a little bit. And when I was a kid, the Vietnam War was raging on. I mean, combat operations were over in 1973, the year I was supposed to graduate uh, from high school. Uh, So all through my high school years and all those years preceding it, the Vietnam War was raging on. And yet, 
And on television, you would watch the casualty reports. And I knew my mom and dad were kind of fearful that I was going to graduate and get drafted, all these things. It was a difficult time for our country, difficult time for our soldiers. And uh, but as a kid, I was preoccupied with my rock band and my theater stuff and the girlfriends as and all these be. things. I as wasn't really be. I wasn't I was just being a kid. I wasn't paying attention to what was going on with the war that much. But when I met her brothers and her sister's husband, uh, they changed everything for me. They just started telling me about Vietnam and what it was like to come home to a divided nation and a nation that had turned its back on the veterans. So I and when I took over as artistic director of Steppenwolf Theater, I was so kind of tuned into Vietnam and wanting to do something for the Vietnam veterans and and so as an artistic director of a theater, your primary job is to find plays to do, right? So I'm always looking for plays and I'm looking at publications from around the country that tell what their local theater communities are doing and everything. And I found this play called Tracers, and it was written by a group of Vietnam veterans, and they were performing the play on stage. And, and most only a couple of them had ever done any theater before. The rest of them were just Vietnam veterans. This, this one guy who'd done theater... Uh, conceived this and and who was a Vietnam veteran conceived this idea to put a play together and get a bunch of Vietnam veterans together and kind of write a play based on their experiences. They would all sit around every day and talk about what they did and what they saw and who they knew and the experiences that they had and then they would act it out, you know, try to act it out together. And this one guy would sit there and write it all. And he ended up creating a play. And then the same guys would go on stage every night and perform it. So most of these guys had never done plays before. They wrote a play, and now they were on stage performing their own stories. Up, And so I, I flew out from Chicago and saw it on stage in, in Los Angeles and was completely knocked out by it. Went back the next night and saw it again. And it was exactly, you know, this is what I want. I, I want to be a part of this. It's telling the stories of our Vietnam veterans. Uh, and prior to that, this is in the early 80s. This is 1980 when I saw it. Prior to that, Vietnam veterans were in the shadows. This is two years before the Vietnam Wall was, was built and dedicated. Vietnam veterans were still hiding, yet these guys were coming together every night and performing for 200 people every night because the show was a big hit in Los Angeles. So I begged them to let me do it. I said, you got to let me do the show in Chicago. And I tell the story in the book that the, the, the guy who wrote it, uh, he said, no, 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 can't do it. It should only be done by veterans. Right. Yeah. Veterans are the only ones who should ever perform this play. And I said, <laughs> Okay, uh, but I'm going to still keep bugging you. So <laughs> I mean, I'm not going away. <laughs> every, every three months, I would call the guy and say, well, let me do it. And then it closed in Los Angeles. And then I would call and call and say, what are you doing with the plane? Nothing's happening with it. It's just going away. Yeah, it's, and it shouldn't. Right. And Someone's it shouldn't. Got to see it should that. be seen. And so he didn't know who Steppenwolf was. Nobody really heard of Steppenwolf at that point. So I had him come out to Chicago and see another play that we were doing that Malkovich directed that I was in and a whole bunch of our 
ensemble were in. It was a just a rocking show. I mean, it was it was it was one of our in the history of Steppenwolf. It stands <laughs> among the top top ten shows. It was called Balm in Gilead. And it was just a wild show. It had Springsteen music in it and Tom Waits music and Ricky Lee Jones. And it was just a really great show. He came and saw it. And now he, he thought, Steppenwolf, they're good. If, if anybody should do the play, I'm going to let these guys do it. So he gave me the rights. And I directed the play on stage, put a cast together, two of which were from outside our company, but were Vietnam veterans. And then the rest of my cast were not veterans, but he didn't mind that. He said that was okay, uh, but he would only give me the rights for Chicago. He wouldn't give me the rights for New York or anything. I wanted a worldwide rights <laughs> to do it. And um, we ended up doing it. And that show was so powerful in Chicago <clears throat> that the veteran community just, the word started to spread. And, and so I wanted to create a night for veterans at the theater. So every Tuesday night, veterans would get in for free. And we, would, we had 220 seats and we'd have 200 veterans in the audience every Tuesday night who would show up for free. And some of these guys would come back week after week after week. Their stories were now being told on stage. This was now 1984. The wall had been unveiled at that time. Some things were starting to change right around in there. It was about 10 years after the fall of Saigon, not quite nine years. And, and the Vietnam veterans were starting to be, you know, the country was starting to say, hey, hey we, we didn't do right by our Vietnam veterans. We've now got the wall. There were some parades or things like that. And these stories of veterans were being told on stage every, every night. It was a galvanizing moment for me. I took my cast to the VA to talk to veterans who were dealing with post-traumatic stress in 1983. Uh, learned quite a bit. Um, and, you know, the unfortunate thing is uh, when I made the decision to do it, when I got the rights, I was really looking forward to my brother-in-law, uh, Mac Harris, who was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. I was very much, and I, who had taught me a lot about Vietnam and leadership and West Point and all this stuff. I wanted him to see it so bad. And he was diagnosed with cancer just about three months before I started rehearsing the play. And he died. he died about a month before I started rehearsing the play. So he never got to see it. But that, in some ways, just motivated me even more to, to do right by our Vietnam veterans. What an amazing opportunity through the theater company to use that as a megaphone and a mechanism to kind of deal with the misperceptions, biases, and opinions of the Vietnam generation. It, fascinating to know that you had vets and non-vets in the cast. Were there initial tensions when they started working with one another? No. No, because the 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 um, the vets who were in the cast were were also actors. Okay. So, and they were bringing a you know really um, one of them was Dennis Farina. Remember oh, yeah, Dennis sure, Farina? Yeah. So Dennis was just starting out as an actor. He was a Chicago cop, and he was just getting into acting. And he'd done something else with us. And you know, I asked him to play the drill instructor. And he was a Vietnam veteran. He served in Vietnam, nineteen sixty three and sixty four early on in the war uh so he was he was great he was really into it and 
the Vietnam veterans who were in the cast, another one uh, also, they were real contributors because they had been there. And so it was good to have a couple of veterans in the cast. And and I just had a great visual idea of how to stage the show. And, and it was very dynamic, very exciting, very powerful. And to this day, 35 years later, every one of our plays at Steppenwolf, we have a vet's night. And veterans get in for free. We provide a meal for them. Every single play since 1984, since wow. we did that show. And that's a lot of, lot of plays. So a lot of veterans have been through Steppenwolf to see our shows over the years. That's awesome. One of, the, one of my favorite spots in the book is, really, is in the very first chapter where it's, it's in a footnote that you had called it post-traumatic stress instead of post-traumatic stress disorder. You, you, as President Bush has said many times, you've dropped the D on the disorder. Through all of your work with veterans, at what point did you... Did you realize that that was a powerful move to to try to focus not just on their physical injuries, but on their mental state as well? Yeah, well, you know, as uh, as I'm sure it's been for President Bush, you know, the more folks you meet that are going through trauma and that have been to war and that are dealing with physical challenges and marriages that are impacted, you know, and families that are going through difficulty, uh, folks who've lost friends, you know, uh, children who've lost parents, uh, families who've lost loved ones, all these things, you, you know, there's a lot of mental stress <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that accompanies uh, that service. And I started working with our wounded 25 years ago. Um, after I played Lieutenant Dan, supporting uh, the Disabled American Veterans Organization, uh, uh, there's a story in the book. I, in the in the very beginning of the book, I talk about uh, a moment where I was invited to the national convention of the DAV, and I didn't know what the DAV was at that point. I'd I'd been very tuned up to Vietnam and the Vietnam veteran experience. So when 1993 came around and I had the opportunity to play a Vietnam veteran, I very much wanted to do that. I had been working with Vietnam veterans since the early 80s, uh, but I hadn't really spent any time with disabled veterans or Gold Star families or that much. It was, um, it was the it was it was when they invited me to the national convention that had a there that there where there was a galvanizing moment in terms of you know when you walk on on stage uh, you're introduced in front of a crowd of 2,500 wounded veterans it's gonna it's gonna have some impact yep it did with me I mean it impacted me so much that I never never left it, you know, and, and continue to support the DAV, um, you know, so all the, all these years ramped it all up after September 11th, when our new generation of real life, Lieutenant Dan started coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan. But prior to that, I was teed up, you know, I was teed up to, to, to support in any, any way I could. And, and I'd learned some valuable lessons from the Vietnam veterans that were in my family and that I'd befriended after that experience in Chicago, uh, working with them, supporting them in different ways. 
uh, the, some that, that I talk about in the book, and then the opportunity to play a Vietnam veteran who's struggling with post-traumatic stress. Lieutenant Dan isn't just somebody who's missing his legs, but he was the lieutenant who marched his platoon into an ambush, into a, into a, into a spot that where they were just surrounded by tree lines and they got cut down and a bunch of his guys got killed or wounded and he's dealing with that you know that's when you see lieutenant dan and he's not doing well and he's drinking too much and he's isolated himself and he's by himself and he's down and out and everything that it's not just his physical disability that he's dealing with there he's dealing with a lot of pain and anguish of being the guy responsible for for losing people uh that and that's a that is not an untypical story for people that go to war. I, I love that trajectory in the story, though, in the movie where you, you really see it initially. It, the war he wanted wasn't the war he got yeah. in terms oh. of his, his history. And then you see that sort of the moment uh, on the fishing boat where he faces the storm and the positive end, which is you see him in a, in a wonderful relationship at the end of the at the end of the movie. And, and what an example for those who perhaps are facing the same challenges. So. I, I, and I found that, Matt, when when I started visiting the hospitals after uh, our deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan and visiting this new generation of wounded. Um, and I'd walk into a room and nine out of 10 of them wouldn't know my real name. You know, they would, they would just say Lieutenant Dan and they'd start and they'd want to talk and here they are, they're missing their legs or whatever. And they're in the hospital bed and they want to talk about Lieutenant Dan. And, and they, Lieutenant Dan is such a, that, that storyline in the movie is such a positive one because he's all right in the end, you know, he's, he's successful in business. He's moving on with his life. He's on new legs. He's married. He's, he's forgiven himself, you know, uh, he's, he's forgiven God. I mean, he's moving, he's moving forward in his life. And I always talk about this in all my messaging. I mean, I play I've played hundreds of concerts for our troops and I get up every single one from the time I started back in 03 to just the other night and I deliver a message all the time and it's it's a very it's a positive message because that the story of Lieutenant Dan is the story that we want for everyone coming home from war that they can make the transition uh that they can be okay that they that don't keep going in this direction, you know, but the next but chapter can be a good one. It can be a good one. And, and that's a hopeful story. And you know what? That story of a Vietnam veteran had never been told before in the movie business. If you, if you go back to 1978, when they started making movies about Vietnam, and that's when the, like the first movies started to come out about Vietnam, the Vietnam experience, it was the deer hunter, right, it right. was coming home, it was platoon, it was casualties of war. Uh, some of these movies uh, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, late 70s, um, they started to come out, but the, you always had this question at the end of the film, 
if the Vietnam veteran was going to be okay. Broken generation. You, yeah, you know, there were so many. You can look at you can look at it, just a dozen of them, and the Vietnam veterans only apocalypse now. I mean, he's crazy at the end. You know, um, you just don't know if Martin Sheen's going to, you know, <laughs> be okay <laughs> right, you know, after right. that. Uh, and then along comes Forrest Gump. And you think maybe it's going one way, you know, because he's down and out. But by the end of the film, he's standing up. His friend's getting married. He's business. He's a business guy. He's successful. And, you know, that story of the Vietnam veteran had never been told before. And there were many stories like that of guys who were able to put their their uh, war years behind them and move on in business and succeed Continued and be okay. Leadership. So it was kind of cool that that, that storyline started to resonate. And it certainly, I, I certainly found it was resonating with the people that I was visiting in the hospitals that they wanted to hear about that story. Gary, we can't thank you enough for the time you're spending here with us talking about your book and with our Engage at the Bush Center presented by Highland Capital Management audience after this. And of course, for all the time that you spent serving our veterans over the years. Well, thank you. And and I hope uh, hope the book resonates with, with folks and, and that they're able to, to see it. There's some positive things. And I talk about a lot of wonderful people in that in that book. Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service. The New York Times best-selling Grateful American is now on sale in bookstores. Be sure to get a copy. It's it's a great read. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you. You bet. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to help us spread the word about The Strategist, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening apps. If you're tuning in on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find episode notes with helpful information and details you may have missed. The Strategist was produced by Ioana Pappas at the George W. Bush Institute in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for listening. Thank you.